everyone. Welcome to Chisme con Corazón with Cristal Vanessa Perez and Fabiola Salazar. Chisme con Corazón is a collection of stories from the mujeres in our lives. We've inherited the art of storytelling from our ancestors, and this podcast is a preservation of the lessons behind the stories. We're linking up with powerful Latinas, sharing our light and building our community. Join us as we lean into each other's magic. Sisterhood, cultura, and storytelling captured in a podcast. Recordando que hay fuerza en nuestras historias. Guys, we are getting started. We have Fabiola Salazar here. Woo, woo. Woo, woo. Okay, so so hi everyone. My name is Cristal Vanessa Perez. I'm sitting here with Fabiola Salazar. Super excited to be kicking off our first few episodes. Um, but Fabi, why don't you start by telling me the podcast? What is it? How did you come up with it? What's your vision for it? Well, I didn't come up with it. Uh, <laughs> let's start off there. <laughs> that was all you. Uh, but what attracted me to it was that Chisme con Corazón, in my mind, and feel free to jump in, um, would give a space for Latinas to share their story of success as well as challenges, and not just any as successful Latina, but kind of all Latinas. Um, and I know originally in the website we had put in the, you put in the phrase that was like, wives sisters daughters and mothers so it's kind of thinking about the latina as a whole and wanting to share those stories that as you touched in your episode sometimes we don't like to tell right the the i got fired story or the i came out with the graduate degree and i'm not sure that it was worth the money and effort right so mm-hmm. it's kind of touching on those on those things and selfishly i would get to talk about myself and <laughs> be on another project with you so that's how i thought about it and i'm super excited to be here i'm so excited to be working with you so can you just talk a little bit about what you envision the project being in a few months i know like you talked about what inspired you um, and how you're envisioning it but how are you hoping to see it down the road Yes. For me, this project, I hope, will be a collection of stories that people can, specifically Latinas or Latinos or other people who are coming into something they've never done before, to lean into the stories and kind of take lessons from how people did things and how they wish they would have done it. So instead of maybe trying to find a mentor, for example, or trying to find an older sibling, what have you, you kind of can lean into the stories of people who have done what many of us have accomplished and can kind of guide you without knowing you. So it's bringing the co- <laughs> our stories to the collective and hopefully it creates that community. Yeah, and I think that the important part is documenting them. Yes. Because like we, me and Fabiola get together regularly and we talk about, like you and I get together regularly mm-hmm. and we talk and we have epiphanies the entire time. Yeah, I know. And then I just think about like, well, what other shared experiences do other people have and what epiphanies can I have from those moments? Mm-hmm. Um, and what epiphanies can I help other people have? And being able to document that similar to like how StoryCorps documents people's quote-unquote normal regular stories but really that's like where the power comes exactly and I think you bring up a great point with the documenting so um my boyfriend Jaime talked about the fact that he went to an event where I believe the Library of Congress Mm. invited people to show up and just take a picture and tell their story so it was an attempt by the government to kind of document more 
stories mm-hmm. of diverse people. I didn't know about that event, so clearly I didn't go tell my story. <laughs> so what I'm trying to say is that I, I hope this platform becomes a more accessible way of capturing those stories so that we don't lose them along the way. And we're also not relying on the government to kind of capture them for us. Yeah, for sure. All right, friends. So let's find out a little bit more about Fabiola. She is an amazing human being who lives and works and podcasts from Chicago. Fabi was born and raised in the Windy City with stops through Charlotte, New York, and Oakland. Cannot wait for you all to hear about these adventures um, before coming back home. In her spare time, she enjoys traveling, charlas con las amigas, a good workout, trying new foods, and she has an MBA and her BA from the University of Chicago. What, what? Go maroons? <laughs> Twice. Fabiola is una mexicana enamorada de la vida y sus aventuras. I love that we added that there. That was great. That was awesome. <laughs> it like rolls off the tongue so beautifully. <laughs> and I always put mexicana in my description because as I grew up, I realized that I wasn't chicana. Like even mm-hmm. though I have my U.S. citizenship and whatnot, like I always identified with my Mexican roots a lot more than I did with my American roots. So I always identify as mexicana. Well, I, I think it's important too because I... I do identify as Mexican, but like about like a South Sider and Southeast Sider. And so that, I think that's what was interesting when I was reading our bios. It's like, oh, Fabi calls out that she's Mexican. I call out that I'm from the South Side. And that's just what feels natural to me. Exactly. But again, that's based off of like what our experiences are and what we're gravitating towards. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. Mm-hmm. All right. Beautiful. Uh, Fabi, can you talk to us a little bit about your childhood growing up on in Chicago in the Windy City and what that was like? Yeah, Sure. I'm sorry, I came to the U.S. when I was two. I'm born in Jalisco, Mexico, specifically Jesus Maria. It's known for tequila making. So Casa Amigos is made there, Avian, Campo Azul, a whole myriad of tequila is, is made there. And so I came to the U.S. Um, and, and basically was raised on, in South Chicago, specifically around 83rd in South Shore, so right mm-hmm. by the, for everyone who's in Chicago, right by St. Michael's, which is a very nice cathedral. And so I grew up, my dad was a construction laborer, my mom was a homemaker. So I grew up going to school and having like dinner ready when I got home. Mm-hmm. My mom walked me to school every single day. And even though English was not my first language, I had an older sister who who sort of taught me how to speak and sort of navigate the institutions. And then we basically had, at that time, South Chicago had a lot of other immigrants. And so that that was basically my upbringing. Um, When I was around fourth grade or in fourth grade, excuse me, um, we moved to the east side. And so I got to go to Washington, and and the east side is very different from South Chicago. Mm -hmm. The east side felt like there were a lot more people who were Mexican, but either had their parents who had been raised in Chicago, or just generally had more resources and money, like to to put it simply. Yeah. And so I went to Washington and then after Washington, my sister went to Brooks. So I was like, the competitive <laughs> side of me was like, I got a one up her. So I went to Whitney Young, mm-hmm. not because I really wanted to go to Whitney Young, but because I knew that from a rankings perspective, it was better yeah. than Brooks. And that was my goal, <laughs> which the, is terrible. The bitterness driving you. <laughs> hey, it's that, uh, what do they call the bitterness of being the middle child? <laughs> 
I forgot to mention, I'm one of three girls. So if you ask my older or younger sister, they'll always tell you that I was the one that was ignored. <laughs> Hashtag whatever. Um, so I went to Whitney Young, got to meet you, basically commuted an hour <laughs> and a half every day. Some of the best times I've had, like, I got to eat Dunkin' Donuts for dinner. Like, I stopped by before. I love that that's your home. highlight of your best moment. <laughs> <laughs> I got Dunkin' Donuts for dinner. <laughs> My mom never let us have junk food. It's so. so funny because also I would never think, because I don't think of junk food when I think of you. So, so funny. So I had Dunkin' Donuts. I also had Starbucks for dinner. Um, and, and it was just fun, like you said, to, to be at a school where... People came from all different types of backgrounds. I was succeeding academically. Like, Whitney Young for me, and this may sound, like, very cocky, it was pretty easy, like, from an academic perspective. Mm -hmm. And then after Whitney Young, I applied to 11 schools. I got into 10 out of the 11. Yale put me on the wait list. Pause for applause. (laughs) Yale put me on the wait list. Um, and, And when it came to, like, actually making the choice... Again, like, this is going to sound really bad, but I I applied to 11 schools not because I wanted to go to all 11 schools, but because I wanted to at least have an option of going to Mm -hmm. Connecticut or New York or Indiana if I wanted to. It wasn't like I actually wanted to go to them. And so when they came to actually making the decision, my mom, you know, I factored in my family. Like, my mom didn't want me to go away. And then I also factored in... Uh, sort of what I wanted to do and like coming back home for the weekends was something that I felt would be really important and so I ended up choosing University of Chicago because they had allowed me to stay in Chicago they gave me a pretty generous scholarship and I had been on its campus for for years because I had been in one of their academic enrichment programs in high Mm. school so I felt like the campus was familiar and that I understood what the institution embodied um, so I did that. So I went to University of Chicago, <laughs> and I and I could share a lot more about that that experience. What well, I want you cut you off, but mm-hmm. I I wanted to ask talk about the experience of making a choice based on not necessarily just you, but like family factoring the entire family on your choice. Yeah, it was something that I did at that time, and maybe it was that middle child syndrome, but I did want to please my parents, um, even if it meant like not being happy if that will like I love the University of Chicago but I I did want to go away like Mm -hmm. I wanted to have that experience and then ultimately even though I had a full ride somewhere else that was not in Chicago I cared more for my mom and and her well-being and and wanted her to get comfortable with me going to college my older sister went to DePaul she was commuting back and forth so my mom just didn't she couldn't grasp the thought of me not being at home honestly looking back on it it was a great choice because I think at 18 you feel like you are ready for the world but the reality is that you're not and and you're in that like in between place where you're probably likely to fail if you don't have the right people around you so it honestly worked mm-hmm. out I'd come back home my mom would give me food like I, I never yeah. had to struggle for like noodles all of that horror stories of college <laughs> never happened to me never happened not your to life me. that no. is definitely a perk because my papa used to take stuff to me if i called him and i'm like tengo hambre or like exactly i'm craving xyz me lo traía. exactly and then i had resources so like my dad was like you want a car like here goes a car so you can like come back home and so those were some of the luxuries that i think a lot of people who went away didn't necessarily have it worked out was i 
Was I happy when they made that decision? <laughs> mm, semi-happy. But I, I think looking back on it, it was the right one. Yeah. Um, can you talk a little bit about just your experience at Whitney and I guess how that, like you said, it, it shaped you ultimately? Um, and I, I feel like when we think about high school, it's just like this fun place or this traumatizing place. Yeah. Um, and again, like I had great experiences there, but I'm also aware that not everyone had an amazing experience at Whitney or that it's conflicting with other things that happened to them. Um, so you could just talk a little bit about that. Yeah. So Whitney for me was a really great place to be. I, I felt like for the first time I got to have more liberty so, like I mentioned, my mom was a homemaker. My dad worked in construction. Um, we had rules, and, and there was definitely discipline there. Um, and, again, maybe it was a middle child thing. I never felt like I could disobey my parents. And so when they went to any young, I still couldn't feel like, obviously, I could disobey them. But I felt like there was more bandwidth for me to go off and do my own thing without their surveillance. Mm-hmm. surveillance. Hence... The Dunkin' Donuts and the Starbucks, right? I was like, yo, I'm going to be a baddie. I'm going to go buy two donuts. This is so funny. This, I think this is my favorite Fabiola story. I never had it. So happy we're doing the podcast. <laughs> I think for me, that 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 was the introduction of like, ooh, you could like technically navigate the world. Mm-hmm. It's like it was almost an empowerment. It, it was cool. The other thing that I got out of Whitney Young that I, I don't think I talk too often about is that it was like my introduction to fitness anyone who talks to me knows that like working out is a must do it's not an option it's like something that I have to do every day mm-hmm. and it literally started at when young because they and I remember my freshman year we had the new PE teacher and she'd make us run she'd make us run miles I was out of breath the entire <laughs> year because I couldn't run but it but even though I was out of breath like I literally improved just my mileage time. Mm-hmm. I think it was like a, I don't know. It was not, I don't even want to share my times. It was terrible. <laughs> I got a C in the class. So that goes to show you how fast I was. <laughs> um, but it taught me like, okay, fitness is important. Like there are girls who are doing six minute miles, like, and you're nowhere close to that. So like, you need to work on that. Mm-hmm. And then the following year I had Franken, who was the football coach, same thing. He'd make us run up the flights, the yeah. bleachers, go up for like 40 minutes at a, at a time period. And so I was like, oh, this is fun. Like, I de-stress during this time. And so that was the other thing I got out of Whitney Young. It's just having that awareness of like fitness is important, movement is important. And I had never had that prior to Whitney Young. I also think that the school had so much going on that it almost offered folks to like be able to find their niche. I just wanted to mention that because we're... 30, close to 30. <laughs> and to we're, on the, we're on the border right there. But I think part of it, unpacking like who we are as adults is how did we get here and what was like our first toe into the water, you know? Yeah. And for you, that was, I never thought about that because I took the opposite. I was like, this is horrible. <laughs> I'm not doing this. Um, the but, PE part or the dunk, dunking donuts? Oh, the part. running part for sure. <laughs> oh my gosh. I actually do love running, but you know, when people are yelling at you in school, not so I, much. I know when there's a pressure. But it's cool to hear, like, yes, we have to go far back. And I, I, I feel like if people are listening, they're like, why are you also talking about high school? You're old. <laughs> and um, it's because without realizing it, like, that is what left such big impressions on how we function now. Exactly. And, and not only that, but. I, the other thing I, I want to mention is that, like, I was 
I feel like I wasn't in the in crowd. So, yeah, I got a lot from it and I enjoyed my experience. But I also didn't have intel into what some other people were doing. Mm -hmm. And it's only been years after the fact where people comment on the different things that were going on. And I'm just like, yo, like, I was clueless (laughs) about what people were doing. I was out here trying to have my donuts. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Bobby was happy to have freedom. That's all she needed. (laughs) So it's, like, weird to see how different people experience high school. Mm Mm-hmm. And how different their experience was, despite the fact that we were in the same building. Yeah. And, like, what we all got out of it. Exactly. Yeah. Wow, that was beautiful. That was so good. (laughs) Um, Can you talk a little bit about your experience at the University of Chicago, where you said, like, you got into 10 out of the 11, and so someone looking at you is like, that's who I want to be. Like, that's what I want as a senior who's applying to schools. Mm -hmm. Um, So you can talk a little bit about just stepping on campus and what it felt like to actually be there after you had worked so hard for it. So worked so yeah, it was a lot of work definitely. Um so first of all, I want I do want to say that I even though I looked like I knew what I was doing, I really didn't. And I'll give you a perfect example of this. So I was also in Heaney's accounting class. So and and you know we had like career day where partners from KPMG and Deloitte would come mm-hmm. in and like talk about whatever their their different status. So I graduated wanting to be an accountant. Yeah. Anyone who knows the University of Chicago knows that they don't have a business program. <laughs> <laughs> so like, guys, I, I don't think I knew what I was doing. Um, but once I found, figured out the University of Chicago does not have a business program. And by the way, I chose University of Chicago over Notre Dame, which does have a business program. Um, I was like, oh, this is cool. Like, I can do University of Chicago. Yeah, and they have a really good business They program. have a really good... <laughs> exactly. I didn't know what I was doing. Um, but that's part of, like, who the hell is supposed to tell us? I didn't realize that, like, we're looking at schools based on majors. I didn't realize, like... Exactly. Uh, where was this cheat sheet where they were supposed to give us the very basics of what you're looking for when you're looking at a college, aside from how far you want to be from home? Exactly. Exactly. I, I agree with that. So... Um, so I was like, okay, cool. Like I had a pretty good experience at Winnie Young. I good at school. I think University of Chicago would be the same. So I literally took University of Chicago's offer. And then in my head, I was like, oh, you could take like community classes, community college classes to get the CPA, which is one of the things you need for an accounting degree. Like I actually thought I could handle two schools. <laughs> like, in my head, I was that confident. And then I got to University of Chicago and um, quickly realized that's not how the world works. Cause, <laughs> but also, if you knew Fabiola, like, you wouldn't be surprised. Like, oh, yeah, she could totally do that. <laughs> I could do that. I was like, oh, I could do that. So I remember that I signed up for classes. I took, like, a math test so they could figure out where I was at. They were like, you're at calculus. I was like, fantastic. I had done calculus at Winnie mm-hmm. Young, and it was math. Like, that's what it was. So I show up to calculus at University of Chicago, and um, the professor's like, okay, we're going to do a proof. And um, all of you guys tested in here, so all of you guys should know what, how, how to do a proof. So I'm like, what the heck is a proof? I'm like, we used to have to do them in geometry. I've never had to do them for calculus. Yeah. I'm not even sure I'm in the right class. <laughs> <laughs> so I started freaking out. I know. And so then um, the professor like starts to do it. And I'm just like, I have no freaking clue 
what this is. Like, I don't even know that I'm in the right course. Mm -hmm. Everyone around me seems to, like, know what they're doing. And so I do what I know how to do best, which is, like, I felt like I could Mm -hmm. self-teach. Because I had been very... Someone who self... I believe the word is self-reliant. So I was like, you can learn this. Um, And so I, I sort of struggled through that class. And... Not only did I struggle, but, like, I was not getting far. Like, I I didn't realize that there were math tutors. I didn't realize that you could go to your TA and ask for help. Like, I just didn't know any of that. So I ended up, like, almost flunking out of that class, which is a course that you needed for everything else. And so um, that was the... Through that class was the first time that anyone ever said, hey, you are failing. Like, you need to act together. Like, you need to figure out what to do because we could potentially take away your scholarship just given your academic performance. And so that experience of, like, being in the class, feeling like everyone knows what they're doing and, like, feeling lost is pretty much what characterized my entire career (laughs) at the University of Chicago. I would show up to classes and, like, pretend I knew what I was doing. You know, I'd get get enough to get by but I was not excelling at all mm-hmm. and I in my mind I was like you just need to get that piece of paper the four-year bachelor's degree because you've been that quote-unquote success up until now and so if you come back home and talk about your struggle or talk to someone about almost failing like it's just not gonna look good it's gonna be a it's gonna be a reflection of you personally so I basically never learned how to ask for help at the University of Chicago because I wanted mm-hmm. to save face and then on top of that, everyone looked like they were thriving. So I just didn't, I just didn't feel comfortable like going and asking for help. Um, little did I know that there was tons of depression on campus. Like University of Chicago knows this. People were committing suicide. Like it wasn't just me that was struggling. Like the school was such an academically rigorous institution that no one felt like they could ask for help. They effectively had top of the top from every single school put them together, and then the bar only got raised, and because everyone had been used to being at the top, no one knew how to ask for help, and it creates this, like, really tough environment. In my sophomore year of college, and I blame it on the stress and, like, everything that I was going through in classes, I got cancer, and so once I had that, I went through treatment and got through that period. I came back to school, and I was like, honestly, like, I'm just going to get that piece of paper. The fact that you called cancer getting through that period. Like, <laughs> girl, this is not some random ass thing that you have to be like, all right, I'm just going to finish this up real quick. I know, finish it up. Wrap up this period of my life called cancer. I get right back to it. <laughs> as funny as it sounds, like, that's what it was for me. Like, it was just, in my mind, I was like, okay, this is, and I think that approach is one that I had at that time, was which was just get through it. Like, don't think about it. This is... It's something you just have to do. Mind you, it was stage four cancer. So, like, mm-hmm. when they told me it was stage four cancer, I was like, well, there must be, like, ten stages. Like, <laughs> I'm good. Um, I'm like, 50, yeah, I'm not even 50%. And then the the doctor goes, no, stage four is, like, the last one. Yeah. And then I was like, holy crap. Like, how did we get here? And so, it in my mind, I was just like, cool. Like, it's stage four. It's all over my body. Like, whatever. I'm just going to, like, get through mm-hmm. it and, like call it a day so and and I was privileged in the sense that like shout out to my older sister who helped me to navigate the medical system which is like a whole nother 
institution to navigate. Yeah. She was like, we're going to get a second opinion. You're going to get into like a study. I found a fantastic doctor who just helped me to navigate the entire situation. And so, but also crazy that like your sister is the one who had to like step up and take that. Yeah. You know, mostly because I think when you get those type of news, like you don't even really have the mental capacity to think beyond what they're offering you. So the first doctor that I talked to was like, look, you're going to have chemo three to four times a week. I don't know. It was like six to 12 hours a day. Like it was just some really long period. You won't be able to drive. So like make sure someone is able to drive you like, et cetera. And so he sold me a story of like, you're going to be getting therapy and tied down to this chair and whatever. Like we'll see if you make it. And I was ready to accept that. Cause I was like, mm-hmm. I don't really feel like doing any more research. I don't want to talk to more people about what they just told me. Like, mm-hmm. I just want to like get this over with. And my sister was the one that was like, no, we're going to get a second opinion. Like, let's go figure out what else is out there. And so um, through a friend, someone else at University of Chicago who was at my dorm also had the same type of cancer I had in the same dorm and was a year older. So That's I, crazy. Which is crazy. And I reached out to her and I was like, hey, um, I remember you were sick. Can I talk to your doctor? And so she was like, yeah, like, she's great. Like, go talk to her. So then her doctor was like, I'm actually, like, booked. Like, I, again, I didn't even know doctors could reach capacity. <laughs> right. Like, <laughs> I need to live. What do you mean you're booked? <laughs> you didn't mean you're booked. She's like, I can't take any more patients. But there's Dr. Klein. He's a colleague of mine. Like, talk to him. Dr. Klein is the best doctor I have ever <laughs> known. And he, w- he basically looked at my diagnosis. And he was like, oh... I've seen this before. We're going to put you on a clinical study. Like, it's not a big deal. And you only have to sit and receive treatment bi-weekly on a bi-weekly basis or, like, three hours at a time. So what he was telling me was way different than what the other doctor had, Mm -hmm. had like, originally proscribed. So, of course, I went with Dr. Klein. And so it was just, like, a a period in which I'd go see Dr. Klein. Yeah. Um, So, honestly, it was, like, a period... Similar to Corona, where I got to slow down and, like, just think about what was happening without feeling like I always had to have a next step. That was, like, the first Mm -hmm. time where I had to evaluate what was actually going on in my life. And after that, I concluded that, like, academics were important, but I was no longer going to aim to be, like, an A student. I basically adopted the model C's get degrees. (laughs) (laughs) So University of Chicago knows what my transcript looks like, but I basically came back to school and was like, I took advantage of all the fun stuff that I had never even thought of. So I became mm-hmm. a lot more involved with extracurriculars. I studied abroad. Like I didn't really care about academics. I was more worried about the fun part because I had, I felt like for the first two years, focusing so much on the academics had like fucked me, right? I'd gotten sick. Mm-hmm. So I was like, no, this is not going to happen again. Like. I'm not, like, if there was something I couldn't accomplish, I would be like, cool, I'm going to get the F. Like, it's not worth it. It's not worth my sanity. Had I not gotten sick, I don't think I would have studied abroad or taken it upon myself to, like, do more of the fun things that college was supposed to offer. 
so Fabi and I went to high school together. We disconnected. I don't want to say disconnected, but we went off. We had mm-hmm. we graduated. We had our life. And I remember, was it freshman year when you invited me to the protest that university? In Washington, yeah. Was it freshman year? It was freshman, freshman year because I remember yeah. I was pledging at that time. Mm-hmm. And you invited me to the protest um, in Washington for immigration reform. And I remember us going. Don't necessarily stay in touch after that. And then fast forward and we reconnect and I'm like, what's new with you? And you're like, just got over cancer anyway. And I'm like, wait, what? And you were like, yeah, anyway. And so you spoke about it literally the exact same way you just described it. Very nonchalant. Like, okay, we accomplished that. We're past it. We're good. Mm -hmm. But to hear like how it really impacted how you lived after that. Mm -hmm. It's beautiful. Thank you. (laughs) I'm, I'm glad you got to hear it. I guess I never, I don't reflect on it that often. Sometimes I forget it it's happened. Trauma. I'm like, yeah. yo, did I remember that that happened to Fabi? Because, again, not that I'm disclo- calling you out or like disclosing it, but Fabi's not good about hyping herself up. And so Fabiola Stop. will introduce herself and say, like, my name is Fabiola, the end. And I'm like, and her laundry list of, like, what makes her amazing. Shout out to you for doing that. Right. And not that I'm going to mention cancer in the, la- <laughs> in the laundry list. but Cancer I, survivor. But I do think, like, that just speaks to your strength. And not that you did it on purpose and yeah, you chose to do it or you would choose to do it. But, like, ugh. I don't think that's a good lesson anyone yeah. should have. But it was one that I had to learn. Right. And, like, honestly, I block out the trauma because I don't. It was a traumatic event, but I, if I fixate on that, I don't think I would be able to, like, continue with things because I would be, like, upset or whatever. I'm not even touching on, like, the impact that it has on, like, family. Like, mm-hmm. I dealt with it, but my parents and siblings, e- siblings equally had to deal with seeing me. Like, I'd be, you yeah. know, I, I think it's different when you see someone else versus when it's you. Mm-hmm. That's fair. <laughs> Thank you for sharing. <laughs> yeah, I'm in the zone. I'm like deep staring into Fabiola's eyes. Like, let me get through these questions though. <laughs> okay, so after University of Chicago, you graduate, you get the degree. I got that degree. Um, can you talk to us a little bit about where you were afterwards? Because you didn't stay in Chicago. Still, even when I was in high school, had come up with this plan uh, that I would graduate from my BA, go into business two years, and then get my MBA. So, like, I had this plan since high school. And so after I got, I resumed my studies, I was like, okay, I have to figure out how to get back on track. So I took an internship in Charlotte, North Carolina, working in investment banking. I did it because it was the one internship that I thought would get me back into that, like, finance track. Mm -hmm. It was a challenging summer. Um... Because I didn't actually know. So to prep for investment banking, I had done enough research where I was conversational, but not where I actually knew what the job entitled. (laughs) Not where I knew what I was talking about. Exactly. (laughs) Going back to like being clueless. You got to fake it till you make it. So anyway, I got the internship. I show up a week after everyone else did, all the other interns, because University of Chicago runs on quarters. And so I wasn't able to show up to training. So I missed training, which is when they teach you, like, how to use all the freaking system. Facts set. rude as hell. I know. They knew that you were on a quarter system when they offered you the thing. (laughs) And they didn't. They were like, you get it. And not only that, but everyone that I was surrounded by that was a peer in the inter program had a business background. So they were all accounting majors. They were all finance majors. 
and I was a poli-sci major, <laughs> so not relevant. Um, and so I show up on day one. I'd had other corporate internships in operations and global outsourcing. So I was used Again, to- how you say that so calmly. Like, yes, I did global outsourcing. I, yeah, so I, had, <laughs> I was used to like nine to five, right? I was like, right. you show up at nine, you get out at five. So I got to Charlotte and did that. And like three weeks into my time there, it was like a mid- internship evaluation and this is where they tell you you're doing a great job or you're not and basically tell you are you on track to get a Mm full-time offer so I walk into my meeting I'm like yo I'm I'm like a success story like (laughs) do you know who I am like I've been doing a great job (laughs) I've been heading home at 5 p.m and everyone else is still working so like clearly someone doesn't know how to work (laughs) and so I get there and my manager he looks at me and he's like you're not really on track to get a full-time job offer like you know we think there are some areas for improvement I basically had like a mini heart attack because I was the only woman of color in the entire intern class and so I was like crap like I just effed it up for every single other Latina that comes behind me Mm -hmm. they're gonna remember me as a failure and so they won't hire the next Latina and so I was like um yo the fact that you just put the weight of all Latinas on your (laughs) shoulders true I'm like I know how this works I already know yeah and so I looked at him and I was just like what do you mean like I'm not on track like do you know I beat cancer like do you know I go to University of Chicago <laughs> like what do you mean type you of know attitude who I am? yeah and so um he's like okay well here goes your review and I at that time thankfully um had a mentor who was like assigned when you became an intern he was an associate at that time wonderful human being and so I was like, hey, Al, they told me I'm not on track to get an offer. So, like, can you help me? Can you, like, help me understand? And he basically said, go back and ask them how you can improve. Like, tell them you really want that full-time job offer and just ask them, like, what can you do? And so I go back to the associate and I'm like, hey, um, so what can I do to, like, improve? Because I really want that full-time offer. Mind you, I didn't care for the full-time offer. I just wanted to make mm-hmm. sure that. I didn't ruin it for other Latinos or people of color. He, again, out here for the people. (laughs) (laughs) You have to be. Charlotte is a different place. So he looked, my associate looked, and he's a very dear friend. He tells me, he's like, so I think you should stick around after 5 p.m. He's like, you know, and when you like stick around 5 p.m., like ask people how you can help them, how you can like help them finish their work. So I I stay after, and it turns out that all the interns were staying after and that everyone stays in the office until like midnight because everyone's doing work. So I started doing that. Half of the time, I will say I was working, like I was helping other people, but there were some times where I was like twiddling my thumbs, but I couldn't leave because I understood, finally understood that there was such a huge FaceTime culture. Mm. So it wasn't necessarily that you were there working. It was just like, are you at your desk? I, whatever. After like four weeks of doing that, I got the offer and they told me, congratulations, go learn accounting because you don't know any of it. Like, and then come back to us. So after University of Chicago, I went back because I honestly, like, keeping it real I didn't want to re-recruit like I got lazy and then secondly I felt like the associate had like thrown me a lifeline that I don't know how many people would have done in his shoes like he could have easily just been like you don't get it you're never gonna get it like you can just sink so I felt like he was vested in uh vested in like my success so I sort of went back became the first woman on the team and only 
the obviously the only woman of color. I'm pretty sure in the entire analyst class. And I got in on day one. I learned my accounting <laughs> and got proper training on, on the tool, etc. And so I was better positioned to like succeed. I spent two years there. I got to work on some really cool transactions. At that time, it was all about green energy. There was like literally overnight, you'd have solar farms mm -hmm. and windmills, etc. So I got to think about how do we finance all of that. Um, so it was a really good time to be covering the energy and power sector. Um, and then during that time, I also got to recruit other Latinos. I got to recruit other women of color. I got to recruit just women. And so by the time I left, I, I was no longer the only woman on the team. Pause for applause. <laughs> I have to find the little like filter to be edit. It's true. <laughs> so then, you know, after doing that for two years, I taking another step back when I got the offer, I was like, you're going to be a managing director. That was the top of the top. I was like, that's what you're, that's what you're going to be. And so I got in wanting to be that. Um, and then after a year and a half of basically busting my butt 24-7 and not really having a life, I began to think about like back to University of Chicago and stress and me getting sick. And so I was like, do I actually want this? Because it feels like this job is always high pressure. It doesn't look like it's getting any easier as you go up the ranks. It looks like you're still, even managing directors who were married and had kids, they would be in the office at 8 p.m. with us, like, working on materials. And I just didn't see myself doing that. Because I mm -hmm. was like, how is it that you're here with me instead of, like, putting your kids to bed? But that's what you had to do. Mm -hmm. And so after two years, I was like, okay, I'm up for promotion, which is great. Mm -hmm. But I felt like they would just give me a higher salary and give me more reasons to stay and so I kind of wanted to get off that cycle of getting caught by the money and like mm -hmm. wanted to leave before it became so much money that I wouldn't be able to leave um so I reached out to Barbara she was an OG like she was a woman in banking back in the 80s I mean I had I had a pretty great like I won't I will say that my team was fantastic but like in the 80s the bankers just didn't care about anything mm -hmm. especially when they came to women so she was just someone who like she came into a room and like everyone respected her and so I went to Barbara and I was like hey Barbara I'm I'm not sure like what I want to do but it's not this and um, the other options I hear are private equity and uh, like corporate finance. And they told her, I'm like, I don't want to do private equity. It's the same game as this, just with like a different team. And corporate finance, like that sounds reasonable, but I don't want to just stay in finance. Like I knew that much. I didn't mm -hmm. just want to talk to CFOs. I wanted to talk to CEOs. And so I was like, I'm looking for the combination between like a CFO role-ish where I'm working with CFO, but I have exposure to strategy. And so she was like, okay, I don't know how to help you because I'm not sure what you're looking for. And I was like, oh, Barbara, I thought you were supposed to tell me what I'm <laughs> looking for. And she wasn't helpful. But a week later, she called me and she was like, hey, talk to this guy. They're looking for someone who can who has those hard financial modeling skills and also can build relationships and like work on strategy. She's like, it sounded like what you were talking about. So like, can, here goes his contact information. So I call this person, he's a VP 
and we it, we have like a one hour interview. He's like, great. I think you'd be a great fit. Talk to my other team members. I talked to his other team members and they're like, sure, like, <laughs> come on. At that time, again, I already knew where I was at. It wasn't it. I also didn't understand like all of my options. I just knew that I didn't want to leave without having a job. And mm-hmm. this might be the Latino mentality. I felt like me not having a job would be a failure. And yeah. I, I had tried to get a job in Chicago because my original plan was to come back home after two years, but no one wanted to hire me. So I remember you saying that. Yeah. yeah. So I was like, fine, like someone in New York wants me, I'm going to go. So I move literally in two weeks to New York City, which I hear is pretty impossible. But I reached out (laughs) to another friend and I was like, hey, so how expensive is housing? Like how hard is it to get housing? And she was like, actually, my roommate is leaving. So you can sublease her room. And I was like, thank goodness. So I basically had somewhere to live because of. I mm-hmm. reached out to this person. And so I moved up to New York. The first day I got into the job, I walk in with the suit. Then you walk through a tunnel. And as you walk through the tunnel, lights flash and radio begins <laughs> to like play. So I'm like, oh, like this a is whole experience. Cool. Yeah, I'm like, this is way different than the elevator in Charlotte. So I like get to work on day one. I'm wearing a suit. And everyone around me is not wearing suits. People are looking really fashionable. Things that like ugly looks, Betty style. It looks like New York. <laughs> exactly. Like a straight out of a magazine. So I'm like, oh, I need to update my wardrobe. And then after lunch, the VP who hired me pulls me to the side and I'm like, oh, it's so exciting to like finally meet you in person. <laughs> I'm so excited to join this team. And he looks at me and he's like, um, so I'm actually leaving um to another division of the company. So like this is your team, but I won't be your manager. And I felt like the ground had literally been pulled from under me, underneath me, because I literally moved to New York to work for him. Like, Mm -hmm. he had pitched me on the role, and I had, like, left a really good job, and now he was telling me he was leaving. Yeah. So I look into the financials, which I should have done before accepting a job offer, (laughs) and it turns out that they have a lot of debt. A lot of debt. Like, $20 billion of debt. And so he basically left because he felt like there was a better opportunity. Mm -hmm. This is really bad for someone who just joined a company. (laughs) Like, this is really, really bad because you go from having security to you could get let go. I was like, okay, cool. So I joined the team and basically became an orphan for the team. Like, no one really understood what I could do. And so I got bored. Some people might say you shouldn't do this, but... I was in banking, so I was used to talking to like executives and whatnot. So I basically like started building a relationship with the CFO, and I I basically let him know that I was open to like different projects um, and, and different opportunities. And so he basically began to give me more and more work. Um, and by the time, just through building that relationship, it helped me to build other relationships. And so by the time I finished my two years, I basically crafted a role for myself where I was working for the CFO doing reporting, but I was also investing in startups uh, under like the head of business development, head of corporate development. And so, which I didn't even realize that companies do. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It was a new initiative. It was yeah. a new initiative at that time. And so 
it was in that moment that I was like, tech is cool. Startups are cool. <laughs> like, this is way different than anything that I've ever seen. And so after that, I was like, I need to go get an MBA to figure out what mm -hmm. this is. This being venture capital. Um, and so I decided that my MBA was the right choice to make that pivot um, for one reason and one reason only. I had applied to a venture fund in Chicago and the partner at that fund Basic, like I basically interviewed, made it to the last round for my understanding, said like, look, we, you're great, but we decided to go with someone who had an MBA. And so I was like, great. So it sounds like I need an MBA. So let me go. And it was also my plan, but because yeah. I mentioned it when I was in high school, but I was still indecisive about it. And hearing him say that, I was like, it sounds like I need an MBA. Mm -hmm. So that's how that decision was made. Um, and so I came back after so I applied to get an MBA got in to University of Chicago Chicago booth and then I took an internship in between when I left and backpacked for a while and then I spent the summer in Oakland California investing in early stage startups so that's how we get to Oakland California basically went from southeast to <laughs> northeast to the west coast Um, and after that stint, then I, I finally came back to Chicago and spent the last two years here in, in Chicago. No, more, more than two years. It's been like three or four at this point. Can't remember. Isn't it crazy how quickly time goes by? It does. It's been crazy. But also that leads us back to this kitchen table <laughs> or this counter. <laughs> yeah. Literally that whole journey. Because I remember yeah. you saying like, all right, I think I'm going to go to school. I went to go visit Fabi in New York, guys. It was amazing. Oh, yes. Yes. I forgot about that. So much fun. Um, but I remember when you said like, all right, I'm going to be coming back home. And then you ended up in California and I'm like, yeah. I thought she was coming back home. I tricked you. Yeah. But that's how we're back together now. <laughs> exactly. And then when I got back to Chicago, because I'd had those experiences of being in New York and California where community is really important, especially because those cities have so many transplants, right? Mm -hmm. No one is actually from there. There are so many things and events and just like, I don't know, things where you can find randos who have the same interests as, as you. Mm -hmm. And when I got back to Chicago, I realized that Chicago does not have a good ecosystem for that. Like, at all. Like, it's really, I found it pretty tough to like find community in Chicago, which is really weird because I'm from Chicago. Yeah. And it's interesting because I think it's easy to find community in Chicago, but I also guess I, I have starting points. And mm -hmm. so, like, there's already a little seed there. And so it's easier, obviously, to, like, collect the rest of the little sprouts cuando uh -huh. ya tienes algo. That's true. It's very true. Mm -hmm. So I, I got, I think I'm finding and wanting to find that community. I was like, you know what? Like, you're looking for this other community um, when you, you already have a community on the east side. And at that point, a lot of us were also moving back yeah. home or near our parents. So I was like, that That was kind of the genesis of UN10. I was like, let's get together and like, <laughs> let's talk about our lives. And then those conversations eventually turned into something more meaningful. But the original genesis was like, how do I find community where I'm at? And, and more than anything, just have someone to drink with on the Wednesday. <laughs> Because it was Wine Wednesdays. <laughs> right. So once Fabi was back, for other humans listening, uh -huh. <laughs> um, she hit me up. And I remember you said, like, let's just 
get drinks or something. And I'm like, I've been looking for someone to establish a wine night every Wednesday. And that's really how it started was me and you talking about life, drinking, not drinking. And then Julio came. Yep. And then I think I started bringing Monica and then Alejandra. And it really started from like of one or two people having a beer to like everyone that had a shared experience of being on the East Side and then turning it into one United Neighbors of the 10th Ward. Follow us on Instagram. And then now here we are again under the same roof. Exactly, exactly. So, so wild. Um, I know it's crazy. It's crazy how, like, remember, and I've used this analogy in other places, but like, I feel like this year I've been seeing a lot of circles, a mm-hmm. lot of full circles. And literally, right now you were talking, I was like, holy shit, this was the full circle. Yeah, this was literally the full <laughs> circle in the good way, in the good way. Yeah. Um, but, but it, it is a lot of, a lot about that. It, even though we've all gone to get our own experiences in different ways, like, you still get pulled back in. Mm-hmm. Um, into that circle but also like things are always changing and your community might shift yes like it's, it might not always be the same community and that's okay yeah yeah you adjust exactly the other thing is that i feel like for me personally it becomes harder to build community as i get older like i become a lot more fixated on like these are my friends and when i was in charlotte new york even california like i'd go to you know someone's apartment and like <laughs> meet someone and by next weekend they'd be best friends like there was just a certain openness mm-hmm. to wanting to meet people and like find community in different places which i got i got a ton of like best friends out of it i will say <laughs> that i will say that it makes um, me happy to hear that you were loved and supported I, I was worried about you <laughs> i know shout out to oh my gosh i, I probably shouldn't name them all but like a yumi connie like stefania like they were my ride or die in new york and mm-hmm. charlotte was a whole nother set in california there were a whole nother <laughs> set so it was like i had different communities in different places yeah, it makes me so happy. I know. <laughs> um, all right, so switching from talking about community, mm-hmm. um, and just to start wrapping us up, can you talk a little bit about now that you've reflected on your life experiences, what would you tell your younger self? What would you have changed a little bit? Or what is it that you wish you had found out earlier? I very much had, even in high school and even in college, I've always been someone who has blinders, if you will. Like, once I write a plan, for me, that's all that matters. So I'm very much like that horse. If you see the horses when they're racing, they put blinders Mm -hmm. on them so that they're only focused on one thing. Yeah. And that's how I am naturally. Like, that's my default. And so what that does is that, yeah, it'll get you to your goal, but you miss out on a lot of opportunities Mm -hmm. that if you had just taken off the blindish for a second, you would have seen. And I felt like you, I feel like one of the qualities I admire about you is that you maintain that flexibility. I was like, I have no fame blinders. (laughs) My ass gets distracted. (laughs) You have that flexibility. And, And so I would tell myself, don't go with what is good now go with what will be good in 10 years so i wish i would have worked for google i wish i would have joined like facebook back in the day um instead of like sticking to this like well you do banking or consulting type Mm -hmm. of mentality and me staying flexible is like one of the things that i practice a ton like 2020 Mm -hmm. definitely showed me how to stay flexible and you know this you right you were with me the entire time but like i went from contract work to an independent consultant to like working again contract work and so i had i was forced to effectively maintain flexibility as i tried to find a job post Mm -hmm. mba and that for 
me, like stretched the heck out of me from my comfort zone because I had a plan. I was like, get your MBA, find a good job and you'll be good to go. And that didn't happen. So then I had to stay flexible. Yeah. And I think like you're not the only one. I feel like our generation specifically was sold this whole idea of like you have your degree and then you'll get your job. Yeah. And then you get your master's and you're going to get even more money for that job. Exactly. And at least for me, I don't think I realized like how many opportunities there were like you could literally make a job out of anything exactly. and that blows my mind exactly and i think if anyone had ever said that to us i believe i'm in the right field but i'm like what if i was swimming in the ocean with the sharks right now because i it never occurred to me that like marine biology was a job i was exactly. just like well someone has to find out about animals exactly never occurred to me that like that was a path that people can take and that people pay you to do that right right um but also like Dealing with the fact that, okay, we didn't know that. We went to school. Yeah. But what am I doing with this degree? Exactly. <laughs> Aside from, like, sitting in the debt. Exactly. And I think another good point that you just brought up is that it's not just a degree, but it's really about relationships. Mm-hmm. So you heard in my stories, I've applied to jobs. Don't get me wrong. I've applied yeah. to thousands of jobs. I, I've also heard thousands of rejections. Shout out to 2020. Every single job that I've ever gotten, I've gotten it through my network. Mm. And so um, I would tell myself, my 22-year-old self, like there were so many opportunities to meet people that were different from me in college. And I, because I was in this very like, but what I like to call a place of struggle, I failed to build relationships with people that are right now in like really great positions. Mm-hmm. And that I sort of missed out on because I was... So focus on like my own trauma and like being the only person of color on campus and kind of dealing with that, that I literally missed out on the opportunity of meeting people that, you know, are, are the children of really, really successful executives that yeah. I am probably doing business with today. So I would tell myself like there is more to a degree than just a degree. It's more about the relationships really. And so like go out to that party. Yeah. Go, you know, go out to that party and meet go, that random. Go touch your toes. Exactly. Go touch your toes. Because that, that, honestly, that's like when you build relationships. It's not going to be, I, I don't know, through like reading a book, being like really book smart. Like that's not going to get you. It, it will get you places. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> certain places. But there's just so much more at the end of the day. People hire who, who they connect with. Yeah. And like that's where we differ because I... 100% see the value and the benefit in that. I just, my personality is not like, let me ask tons of questions. Let me do this. Let me do that. And so whether like it came naturally to you or you realize like I need to train myself to have the skill set for where I want to be. What I appreciate about you is that your brain does know how to say like, how do I get a more meaningful relationship not just to like see what I can get out of it but yeah. see like down the road what are the opportunities and possibilities for this relationship yeah. and it's funny you say that because I am I love people like and that's why I enjoy venture capital because at the end of the day it is a people business but when I'm in the workforce I struggle so much to like speak speak up in like team mm-hmm. meetings and I've had one person in particular call me out on it uh, where he he did comment. He was like, you were really quiet at a meeting. And so at, at that time, I and to this day, I really appreciate him for making that comment. Mm-hmm. But it's just one of those things where even though 
quote-unquote, I have an MBA and I have these experiences, even in something as simple as a team meeting, like, I still struggle to find my voice. I don't know why. Like, if I'm on a one-on-one like this, I'm super comfortable. I can talk. I can relate. But in a team setting and even public speaking, like, I have to, like... (laughs) Do my star pose in the bathroom, you know, before I, like, go. I have to, like, psych myself up and fake it till I make it, right? Like, I think that's the other lesson that I've learned is that if I had to tell you the amount of times I had to fake it, there's been a lot. There's been a lot. But after a while, you're just like, well, I have to do it. Like, I've gone too far to the front that I can't, I don't feel like it's going to take me longer to go back. So I yeah. only, I can only go forward. I think what I've been trying to be cognizant of in 2021... 2020 help pointed out but is not so much like what are my weaknesses but what are the areas that I want to focus on and like small talk is one of them um I remember I love small talk <laughs> I I hate it I'm so bad at it uh-huh. I can feel when like small talk turns into a meaningful conversation and then I get excited and but I remember during the summer when we had the Black Lives Matter march through Hegwish mm-hmm. and I told Oscar something and I'm like hey Oscar can you make an announcement about we have extra poster boards and he's like no you make it and I'm like, nope. Exactly. <laughs> and him and I went back and forth. And I, I remember that. Yeah, I appreciate him for trying to push me out of the nest. Yeah. It didn't happen. But I appreciate that he said, like, no, you can do this. Yeah. And you should be doing this. And it's super easy. And it's the amount of anxiety around telling people, hi, if you're here, my name is Crystal. You can grab posters from this table. That's all I had to say. And looking back at it, I was like, I probably should have force myself to say two sentences mm-hmm. and be prouder of myself cognizant of it but I appreciate having people around that are like aware because in my brain I didn't think about I meant bigger picture I was kind of just like hey Oscar make the announcement and he's like no you know Oscar actually said like you're a Latina woman hosting this event you should be speaking and he's like it shouldn't just be the male speaking and again my brain didn't make that connection my brain yeah. was just like hey Oscar make this announcement because I'm not comfortable public exactly. speaking but for him to know hey it's important for you to be visible and to get comfortable being visible um as someone who's like doing the work but part of that like you said is also like telling people well let me take a step back I think towards those goals it's important to have the goals but it's also important to have accountability Mm -hmm. whether that be someone who when you're afraid to like talk in front of people that's like nah you're gonna do it type of thing and then you're (laughs) just like I'm gonna do it because you know in my mind, and maybe it's important to look, talk, talk through like what goes on in your head, but when I'm in team meetings, I always feel like I can only speak if I have something really important or something really thoughtful to say. And so my head is like spinning. Like I, you literally, like if you can imagine wheels, are like spinning trying to come up with a really smart thought. <laughs> Same. <laughs> and I'm just like, so then like the meeting goes by and I'm like, oh, like I didn't say it or someone else in the room will like say what I was thinking I'm like I need to come up with another idea and then (laughs) it's like this thing where you almost self-sabotage because you're overthinking it Mm -hmm. and like I personally similar to you to you just practice just showing up and saying something in the meeting and I, I do have that goal Whenever I'm in the meeting, I have to say at least one thing. One thing. That is such a good thing. Maybe I'll, I'll put a... Not maybe. I will uh-huh. put a little post note on my laptop to say, like, speak up once during the meetings. Because similar to you, and not necessarily that, like, I'm uncomfortable speaking in te- meetings. I'm thinking about public speaking as, like, everyone is staring at me. Mm-hmm. But in a, in a team environment, it's 
I, I'm comfortable. I just, I'm in my brain. I'm, I'm talking to myself about what's going on. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then, like you said, I don't share because I'm like, well, someone else said it or it's super obvious. Yeah. What's the point? But then sometimes I'll be in meetings and like second person just repeated the exact same thing first person said, yes. but suddenly it sounds smart. And so I'm uh-huh. like, okay, so should I just start repeating other people's ideas? <laughs> you know, you just have to repeat it and add one mm-hmm. thing is what I've noticed. <laughs> <laughs> but again, I'm just like such a m- mellow and chill person that I'm like, okay, do, does me speaking up serve a purpose aside from just me speaking up? Exactly. Because otherwise I feel like I have everything I need to, to, to like be great. Right. I think like, shout out to my mom. She worked in an office and so she taught me like, this is what you wear. This is how you act. This is how you speak in an office environment. I'm trying to be better about that code switching because yes. it does happen and it is exhausting and I honestly think I'm so good at it that I, I'm not tired of it anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, but every once in a while, like, the real me, I guess, slips up. And then I just kind of, like, it gives me anxiety because I'm like, oh, my God, they catch that. And now I'm, I'm trying to, like, laugh about it because I do get into other conversations with folks. And they, I feel like they weren't taught, like, you have to be this corporate so that people didn't realize, like, yo, this is not where I'm from. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, this is not where my parents are from. This is not our comfort level. In the current time, we're almost trying to reverse that to be like, well, who is your authentic self and how are you bringing that forward? And I think, wow, maybe I just had an epiphany. Yeah, that's like a really good point. Because I think the corporate side of me is the one that stays quieter in meetings. I'm like, well, I don't have anything to add, whatever. The regular side of me, you know, I was in a meeting the other day and we were going through some information. I was like, holy shit. And I was like, I'm so sorry. And they're like, no, I had the same reaction when I was looking at information. I also said, holy shit. And, and so like having that honest dialogue of like, okay, this is our reaction versus being like, oh, that's crazy. Or like, okay, how can I fix this? Yeah, exactly. And taking a moment to be able to say like, no, my normal human reaction was holy shit. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah, that's really important. I think um, it, when I worked for the bank, I was pretty corporate. Like, I wore heels. Mm-hmm. Or, like, at the law firm, I was in a dress and heels every day. And exactly. then I switched to this place, and I'm in jeans, a hoodie. It's chill. Bike yeah. shorts, yeah. But I, I think going back to your point, even if we were wearing, quote-unquote, what was corporate, it took so much energy out of me, like you said, to mm-hmm. code switch. It sucked a lot of mental energy out of me Mm -hmm. so then I wasn't able to perform I believe as well as like maybe some of my peers now I'm working for a fantastic team and like they really like you said they allow me to bring the whole self my whole self to the table Mm -hmm. and that includes like what did you do for your weekend and like actually telling them what I did for my weekend (laughs) not like I've had to learn that too. Using code, like, oh, I went out for dinner. It like, was a great weekend with my family. Yeah. And now you're like, actually. <laughs> actually, you know? And so it's cool to be in that place where I feel like I can bring my most authentic self. But that that being said, it's not just a culture. It's like having a team that allows mm-hmm. you to do that. For me, at least being able... Just our expectations of the workforce, obviously, were very different from our parents. We've, we all know it. We've all said it. Yeah. Um, but still navigating, like my, it still blows my mom's mind that I can work in a hoodie. Um, or when I left the law firm, I remember my mom was, I got home early that day from work mm-hmm. and then I get home and I was there early. My mom's like, 
Why are you here? I quit. No, you didn't. I did. Why would you quit? I wasn't happy. No, you didn't quit. Yes, I did. And like that back and forth. And she was definitely angry for the first chunk of that conversation. Yeah. And I was like, mom, how many times did I come home telling you that I wasn't happy? Like how many times have I randomly burst into tears just thinking about like not even the workload, the people that were draining the energy out of me. I'm like, it wasn't even like the physical, the actual work. It was the people that I was with. And I think once I said that, she was like, you're right. You made the right choice. And then the next day she was like, how nice to be unemployed. (laughs) And so like we were able to talk about it, but I had to call her out and and say like, I didn't just make this for fun. I'm just not lazy. I literally did not have the brain capacity to be there anymore. And so she's like, okay, like we're okay. Um, But again, like their generation will never do that. No. Thinking about coming home to have that conversation was intense. Mm -hmm. Um, but just knowing like, okay, we're on a two different places, but this is yeah. where we are. It almost feels like we can't, we're not allowed to fail in the eyes of our yeah. parents. Like, and, and I believe it's because, granted, like, I feel differently, but I, I do feel like parents who see us from the outside are kind of like, well, you do have this bachelor's. Yeah. You do have this MBA. Like, you should be happy. Like, yeah. And like, I'm not okay. disagreeing. I'm not, I was never up at four in the morning in the fields like my dad, you know, mm-hmm. like I'm my, the fact that his his back hurts every single day. Yeah. Like it's a privilege that I am where I'm at based on my parents' sacrifice. I just, it's hard to like explain that our, like we are still struggling, even though it looks different, you know, Mm -hmm. like I know my mom understands mental health is very important. My cousin, um, died by suicide. So I know all of that is like, they're fully aware that it's important. I just, I think it's weird for them to comprehend that it actually is important, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, And I think, like, my dad, who's physically in pain Mm -hmm. sometimes from, like, the work that he's done and his body has been through, it's harder for him to comprehend the days where I'm like, I literally can't get out of bed. Or, like, I have so much work that I'm ready to cry. And he's like, well, at least you're at home. And yes, 100%, very much privileged. But, like, the amount of, the toll that sometimes that takes, you know, it's... Is a different toll. Yeah, it's a different toll, but also just very real. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I... I feel like, and I think this is more self-imposed than anything, because um, my parents are wonderful, but I never felt like, and even now I still don't feel like I could ever tell my parents, like, I mean, graduating without a job was, like, huge. Yeah. Like, having to have, I didn't even have a conversation. I just kind of said I was looking for a job. But, <laughs> you know, like, I never fully had it. it. Yeah, let's just not. Let's but just again, not. like, we're 30 and we're still like, how do I tell my parents? <laughs> how do I tell my parents that? I graduated with an MBA and I'm looking. They were fully supportive. They're like, don't worry about it. Like, you'll find something. It's a pandemic. Mm-hmm. But for me, it was hard. It was hard to admit, like, I, I'm not getting a job. Like, yeah, the people I thought who were going to give me a job, like, bailed on me. And I had nothing. And so, like, shout out to them for being so supportive. But I felt a self-imposed pressure that I mm-hmm. couldn't come home with that and and that it wasn't acceptable when really the realities of my parents are like whatever take your time like <laughs> you're gucci like it, it's fine I, like you'll find yeah. something i feel like they're supportive but i also know what their values are at the core mm-hmm. and i remember a conversation i had with them i don't know if i've shared this with you before but basically my dad was like you're always on vacation like mm. did you go to school just to be on that. vacation yep I just let him talk. And then finally I was like, Bob, like you didn't work for me to go to work. You worked so that I could choose what my future is going to look like, mm-hmm. regardless of what that looks like. And regardless of whether you agree with it or not. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I think that was a shift for him of like, you're right. You're right. You know, our, our 
parents did so much. They're amazing little creatures. They are. Their sacrifices, their their struggles, their everything is amazing. But also, like, a part of me feels like I have to be successful. I have to do certain things to make sure that that was all worth it. But also, at the same time, like, what their story of success looks very different from what my story of success you know and then I've taken them on a few trips and they're like oh this is why Crystal loves it because it's amazing because it's so fun yeah and so then like growing up just thinking about like how my relationship with my parents is changing because it needs to then adjust to like that type of relationship of what that's going on yeah yeah I yeah that and that right the evolution of relationship with parents is like a whole nother episode yeah I feel like now my parents are like my best friends. Like they know everything about my life. Mm-hmm. Um, my mom, my mom makes me a green juice every day. Oh, what a cutie! I know. I'm like so. They know. I've included them on purpose a lot more in what's going on, mm-hmm. which I never done before because I I always felt like oh I can't share this with them. Now I'm like I am doing this. I'm going <laughs> out with this person. Like let me know what's up. Yeah, that's sweet. Well, that's the end for this episode, friends. We'll see how we cut it. (laughs) Thanks for joining us on today's episode. If you'd like to share your chisme with us for a chance to be featured on the podcast, Send us an email at chismeconcorazon at gmail.com or leave us a voicemail at 929-333-2752. As always, don't forget to follow us on Instagram and leave a rating wherever you're listening to this podcast. Adios, chismosas.